0: Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcast. This will be part three in our discussion of Oral Torah. And before going further, I must state a disclaimer so that my opinions not, will not be misconstrued. This disclaimer identifies why I am not welcome in Jewish synagogues or other Judaic spiritual gatherings. Contrary to what some of you may think, particularly if you're Christian, I am not a practitioner of what is commonly known as Rabbinic or Orthodox Judaism, which I call Akiva Judaism within the Yeshua Judaism series. And I have no intention whatsoever of ever becoming a practitioner of Rabbinic Judaism. In fact, I absolutely detest its profound, unmatched elitism, its Rabbinic authoritarianism, and other errors, errors I see within that faith system. I embrace the authentic faith of the New Testament, Yeshua Judaism. I also, of course, accept Yeshua, falsely named Jesus, as the promised Messiah, Messiah ben Yosef, or Messiah son of Joseph, when he first appeared, and to return as Messiah ben David, or Messiah son of David. I detail my beliefs relevant to that matter elsewhere within the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts or on the TorahMessiah.org website. In this, and other discussions in which I share my opinions, I speak positively about the Oral Torah. I definitely do not want people to think that I blindly accept all the teachings of the rabbinic Torah sages. I most certainly do not. Some of the material to be found in the Oral Torah of Judaism is quite objectionable, And elitist. It often also appears to be unnecessarily legalistic or may directly contradict the written Torah or violate basic common sense reasoning. I disagree with such elements of oral Torah. It is just such traditions that Yeshua the Messiah and others in the New Testament record probably opposed, which is why there is often argument and hostility recorded in those writings from some of the Jewish authorities of that day towards Yeshua and his original followers. I hasten to add, however, that such examples represent only a fraction of what is found within the oral Torah of Judaism, despite the slanderous, anti-Semitic ramblings of Torah haters who were primarily Christians. Yeshua, otherwise known by his false name, Jesus, and his followers would actually agree with the overwhelming number of opinions voiced by Jewish sages within the Oral Torah, despite what may be taught by most Christian leaders. Personally, I view the Oral Torah of the rabbinic sages as being similar to a gold mine, a resource or excellent reservoir of knowledge in which to search for truth. When mining for the precious metal, Various amounts of the material extracted during the process of mining and refining the gold is good for nothing and dumped into a refuse pile. There is definitely gold to be found, but it must be separated from the worthless rocks and mud within which it is trapped. Well, likewise for Judaism's Oral Torah. Within some writings, it will be as if you have come upon a rich vein of pure gold, and with intense spiritual exhilaration, you will follow that vein as far as it will take you, which may be multiple books or audio lectures. At other times, however, it may be as if you are in a coal mine or perhaps even foul-smelling mud with very little gold to be found. The gold of Torah truth must be painstakingly sought and then separated and refined to eliminate the rocks and putrid mud of elitist rabbinic error, that is, elitist Akiva Judaism error. I do not accept all that comprises what Judaism defines as Oral Torah. Although I have far to go in studying most that is within the teachings of the sages, that is, the Oral Torah, it is correct to say that I disagree with much of it. I also differ with the blind acceptance of the Durbanans, that is, rabbinic decreed commandments, which many within Judaism practice. Just because the rabbis decree something does not and will not compel me to follow their decree if I do not see any, any hint of it from a common sense reading of Torah based upon the words themselves from an application of historic facts, from comparison to the foundational Hashkafa principles defined later, or from the application of logic, utilizing the fundamental God is impartial message of Yeshua Judaism. So, please do not assume, as you listen to my opinions, that I have lost my intellectual reasoning ability, am under the spell of rabbinic ideology, or that I am defending the error that is sometimes found within Akiva Judaism's Oral Torah. My positive comments are limited to discrete aspects of Oral Torah. Primarily, but not exclusively, the non-legal teachings known commonly as Agadah or the deeper understandings of God's plan found within Hashkafa material. And even among them, by the way, it is assumed that discernment will be practiced when they are studied. I do, however, also disagree with many of the opinions found in halakha or halakha. And halakha, and I'll define that later, that's referring generally to the legalistic mitzvot, the durbanans, the rabbinic decrees. That's commonly, that's what's known as halakha. Also, some of the actual biblical commandments could be listed among halakha. I am not among those who blindly accept whatever the rabbis teach and whom, I believe, worship their sages. The Torah sages of old are often viewed as infallible. In fact, they are viewed as infallible within most of rabbinic Judaism. Their words are considered sacred, as though they are direct instructions from the Most High God, acceptance of which is generally required and rejection of which is often condemned. That is actually another aspect of Akiva Judaism that betrays the double standard they apply to their writings versus the authority of the New Testament. The reason I say that's a double standard is because, of course, the counter-missionaries within Akiva or rabbinic Judaism, those who seek to destroy faith in the New Testament, they will commonly and constantly beat upon the concept or beat upon the idea within Christianity that Yeshua or Jesus is God and that Christians follow the teachings of Yeshua as though he is God. Whereas that is true, or sh- actually, frankly, Christians don't actually follow Yeshua's teachings, that's a whole nother matter. But while they do that, while the kind of missionaries do that and attack Christianity and attack the New Testament because of its Alleged teachings, according to Christianity, which is false by the way, that Yeshua is God, while they attack that, they nevertheless elevate their own sages to a level equal to God. Yes, they will deny that. But the only thing they don't do, they don't say that their sages are the Creator. But the words of the sages in Rabbinic Judaism are the words of God, they're considered infallible. And it is forbidden to disagree with them or to go against them. That is a fact. Now, it varies from group to group. But in general, the Jewish sages, particularly the tanaim the most revered Jewish sages, their words are basically equated to the words of God. Their decrees... Their teachings are equated to the decrees and teachings of God. That is a fact. So while the counter-missionaries of Judaism attack the New Testament and Christianity because of its elevation of Yeshua, they practice the exact same thing with their elevation of their sages, with the exception that they do not call them the Creator. However, since the New Testament actually does not teach that Yeshua is the Creator God, yet that his, his, his words should be adhered to and should be listened to, that being the truth, they practice the exact same thing as those whom they attack do. They elevate their sages to a level equal to the actual level of Yeshua the Messiah in the New Testament. That is a level of not being God yet being the, given the authority of God. The words of the sages in Judaism are the words of God. That is a fact. That's what I meant when I say they practice a gross double standard. All right. Whereas I do accept much that the sages teach and also consider it to usually be a reliable representation of the Eternal One's teachings, I do not support or agree with Akiva Judaism's sage-worship situation, as it stands, which eclipses even the ludicrous sacrilege of Roman Catholicism's papal infallibility. There absolutely, irrefutably, is an idolatrous sage-worship mentality within Judaism, and I do not agree with that mindset. Such a mindset is among the reasons why I would never convert to Akiva Judaism. It is also one reason why I am despised by many within Akiva Judaism every bit as much as I am despised among many Christians. Frankly, probably even more. Having said that, I do not consider myself to be a Karite Jew or a Messianic Jew. Now, a Karite, quickly, a Karite Jew is basically a Jew who rejects the oral Torah of the sages. That's what a Karite Jew is. So I do not consider myself to be a Karite Jew or a Messianic Jew, even though I agree with some of their beliefs, that is the Kerites, such as how ethnic Jewishness is passed from the father and not from the mother, as is taught within most other forms of Judaism. I am, however, open to change on that subject, as I am all other subjects. I also agree with Karaites in their rejection of most of the Takanot, the rabbinic-defined fences of Torah, and other Durabanans, that is, rabbinic-dictated decrees. I agree with the Karaites on that. I do not accept the Durabanans. I do not consider them legitimate. Karait Judaism rejects the oral Torah, as I said earlier, a bit more strongly than I do. Basically, Karaite Judaism seems to limit the infinite Creator by explicitly stating that all of the eternal Creator's teachings were written in the Bible. It is sad how those who claim to revere Torah can restrict God's teachings by confining them to the borders they themselves stipulate. Their stance actually violates basic common sense. It also removes a primary means by which one can properly understand the New Testament teaching. A fact I prove in this article, and that primary means I'm referring to, is Oral Torah. Now let's proceed on with the discussion. Okay, premise number one. Christians do not know what Torah and Oral Torah are. Christians do not know what constitutes the Torah because Christianity has for centuries misrepresented its definition. They literally do not know what Torah is. Most Christians would limit their definition of Torah to the first five books of Moses or the entire Tanakh, that is, the Older Testament. Some do not even know that. Still worse is the belief among many Christians that Torah is defined as traditions of men that were never applicable or that lost their application after the death and resurrection of Messiah. Ignorant of what Torah is, most Christians and Christian leaders arrogantly and irreverently take it upon themselves to explain and define the teachings of Scripture afresh without Hebraic context instead of utilizing, if we start from the literal beginning, the almost 6th Thousand years of wisdom and knowledge from Torah's ages, that is 4,000 before Messiah, plus 2,000 since. The result is a gross failure within Christianity in their grasp and understanding of those scriptures. Torah is more, much more, than simply what is written in the Tanakh, irreverently called the Old Testament within Christianity. And the reason is simple. Unless we have insight into the historic, social, and spiritual context of the Tanakh, we cannot possibly interpret it correctly. Anyone who thinks otherwise is hopelessly naive and egotistical. Unless we were there with them when Torah was given and explained by Moses and the divinely inspired prophets and Torah sages who followed, We cannot possibly grasp the extent of its teachings. Nevertheless, Christianity largely ignores, discards, and even at times condemns the teachings of those great men of antiquity. Torah is also not simply laws or legalism as widely believed within Christianity. Torah is a Hebrew word which simply means teachings or instructions. It does not mean law. There is an entirely separate term that is used to distinguish the laws within the Torah. Admittedly, the Torah is sometimes called the law within the New Testament, but only by those who realize it goes far beyond legalism and often also as a subtle identifier of what aspect of Torah is applicable to the context from which the phrase the law is found within the New Testament. Torah represents the teachings of God. What Christians call law is only one aspect of the Torah, as I will define within this discussion. This is a fact, people. Most Christians have actually never seriously never read the entire bible and if you're a christian listening to this you know that to be the truth this is something i need not prove since all christians if they are honest with themselves know this to be true but then the same can probably be probably be said of most jews Most Jews have probably never read the entire Bible. So, if you doubt it, then go around and ask your fellow Christians to sincerely and honestly tell you if they have ever read the entire Bible cover to cover. If you do this, you will discover that very few have. And this fundamental ignorance of the Bible even includes those who view themselves as sincere and knowledgeable Christians. Because of the dumbing down and victimization by their leaders, many Christians are too ignorant of Scripture and history to realize, or too biased and arrogant to admit, that Torah, which is the eternal divine teachings from God given to mankind, covers all aspects of faith. It covers, for instance, the characterization of God and how He interacts with His creation, repentance, faith, grace, ethical and moral teachings, the concepts of reward and punishment, the correct understanding of atonement, the responsibility of mankind, judgment and the afterlife, and every other aspect of spirituality that is possible to name. It covers them all. Torah has it all. And Christianity, through its rejection of Torah, has basically corrupted and distorted it all. Christians have been fed a load of pig manure, from their Torah-hating and ill-informed leaders who define Torah as simply legalistic law or traditions of men. Deceived Christians do not realize that by rejecting Torah, they are rejecting every single aspect of biblical faith that existed throughout all biblically recorded time previous to the redefinition of faith by the early church fathers who excluded the true Torah sages, from their evil cabal. That's almost 4,000 years thrown into the trash heap by the early Greco-Roman-based church fathers of the 4th century and following. And another 2,000 can be added to arrive at the present day. Having been duped by their leaders and led down a road of falsehood, Christians failed to realize that Christianity, as it has been practiced since the 4th century, is a religion that began with the complete discarding of the entire knowledge base of faith that had existed before they redefined it, that is, before Rome redefined it. The Torah-hating leaders of early Christianity, after obtaining a majority following Rome's devastation of the Holy Land, then drove off, censored, or killed those who sought to promote the actual Torah-centric messianic faith began by the original followers of Messiah Yeshua in the first century. Afterwards, they proceeded to unscrupulously erase from Christian teaching all the accepted pro-Torah understandings of the true faith's details and to replace those understandings with their anti-Torah Demonic garbage. Almost 6,000 years of biblical faith practices and teachings are unknown to Christians because of their blind and foolish acceptance of the deceit and Torah hatred of their leaders, many of whom sincerely yet wrongly are convinced that they are correct. The early church leaders and many who followed threw away the previous 4,000 years of that knowledge as a first step in the creation of the Christian religion as it now stands. They used the pagan religions of the Roman Empire as their template for a counterfeit biblical, allegedly biblical, faith. Christianity, that is the religion began under Emperor Constantine in the 4th century, is a completely fabricated and fraudulent faith system that has a raw hatred for the Torah-based faith preceding it, which was the same Torah-based faith believed and taught by all the great prophets of the Tanakh, by Yeshua the Messiah, and by all his original followers as documented in the New Testament. Christianity, since the 4th century, is a counterfeit faith system that bears little resemblance to the actual faith of Messiah Yeshua's original followers. It has little resemblance to the authentic New Testament faith. Very little. In fact, in general, it opposes it. In the 4th century, Christianity became a recreated faith that discarded and essentially outlawed the true Messianic faith, of Yeshua and haul all His original followers. And worst of all, most Christians do not care or have the desire to study to find truth, particularly if that truth differs with their own biased beliefs. I should say they currently do not care. They most certainly will care when the heavenly court is called into session to pronounce judgment. But then... It will be too late to repent. It is an obvious fact, or should be, that there is more to God's teachings than what is simply written in the Bible. The Eternal One, the Eternal Creator, is infinite, and therefore so are His instructions. There is no end to the Eternal Creator's Torah or teachings. Those who think otherwise are sorely lacking in their understanding of the infinite cause of all causes, the Almighty Creator, and are limiting Him to their unlearned, feeble-minded reduction of His glory. Were this not so, why would the Gospel of John close with the following words regarding the teachings of one particular man, just one man, Yeshua the Messiah? Why would the, uh, the Gospel of John close in a way that directly contradicts those who claim that anything not specifically written in the Bible is illegitimate. And I'll be reading from John chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies about these things and has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. There are many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And that's from the NET Bible. And that passage, those passages from the Gospel of John, refers to the teachings of one person, Yeshua the Messiah, over a short span of time, basically a little bit over a year. What does that obviously suggest about numerous inspired prophets and men of God over a time span of almost 6,000 years. Obviously, since that is said about one man, Yeshua, over a time span of less than two years, again, what does that suggest about many men and women over a period of several thousand years? The written Torah testifies to this also in places when it instructs the priest, Moses, the prophets, etc., when it instructs that they are to be consulted in matters that need further clarification or judgment. Today's rabbis arrogantly and illegitimately claim they possess the same authority. But I do not see any prophets, temple priests, or elders of the tribes of Israel among today's rabbis. Such passages in the scriptures present explicit evidence of an obvious and extensive oral Torah, or verbal instructions, that were present, but that were not written down. Common sense dictates the necessary existence of explanations and clarifications that were not codified in the Bible, but which were, and are, present among those chosen worthy of such exalted status. Now we'll get into defining Torah. Now at this point, since my the Torah-defined section of the material is relatively long, and if I jump right into it, this particular part three could probably go beyond an hour. So I think I will pause here at part, with part three, and I'll continue in the next part In part four of our discussion of Oral Torah, I'll continue where we will jump straight into defining Torah that is relevant to this discussion. I'll be defining Torah. So I appreciate you for listening to this part three. Again, this is Oral Torah, where I will prove the legitimacy and necessity of Oral Torah. And I thank you for hearing this part three, and please join me again in part three, or excuse me, in part four, when we continue with our discussion of Oral Torah. Thanks again, and goodbye.